Hello and a very warm welcome to the Big Bright Podcast. Today we are welcoming Hannah and Chris, two of our brilliant professional services team. They provide valuable support and guidance to our clients who have begun using our products and are introducing new processes to their team, which is not always an easy task. Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for being here. How are you both? Good morning, Emma. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, I think it's a very good time to be talking about change management. It does seem to be, yeah, particularly apt. Um, yeah, sat in a slightly different setup than we'd usually be, all doing this remotely from home and things. Yes, it's mad. Chris, how are you getting on? Yeah, good morning to you as well. All, all doing good. It's an interesting time that we're all going through, but, you know, there's different challenges and there's just another thing that comes up, so why not overcome it? Yeah, I think um, we're realising more and more that content needs to be approached in a different way. So a podcast, obviously, is our first podcast recording remotely. So yeah, let's see Let's see how it goes. So to kick off, we're obviously going to be talking about change management today, and you guys are the experts. So change is a really interesting talking point. It's a bit Marmite-esque, as people tend to love it or hate it. Personally speaking, which side of the fence are you both on? I think for me, when it comes to change, it really depends what part of my life that change is happening in. So, for example, at work, and and Chris, do correct me if I'm wrong, seeing as you work with me, but I like to think that when new change is happening, so for example, at the moment, we're currently looking for new ways to change and mix up our, our training offering. That's the kind of change that I love. I love approaching things slightly differently, thinking creatively about it, and really kind of getting together collaboratively and working through what we could do and experimenting. Very differently, when it comes to my personal life, I am a little bit change averse, I would say. So an example of that might be, you know, friends, we we go to the same restaurant every month. And if one of my friends were to say to me, right, Hannah, this month, we are going to try somewhere completely new, that would definitely send me into a little bit of a spin. And I'd be the first one to figure out where the restaurant was, look at reviews, over prep the menu, have a look at it online, all of those kind of things. So I think I think the middle ground is where a lot of people live. But I think for me, yes to change at work, no to change at home. That's really interesting. I think a lot of people would kind of empathise with that. I think I'm probably the same. I'm quite happy to make changes work-wise. But yeah, change personally. But I think that totally makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's something that's directly impacting you on an emotional level. Whereas when you've got your professional hat on, it's a bit easier to make those decisions. How about you, Chris? Where do you lie? Yeah, I I think I'm probably a little bit more sort of consistent between professional and personal, we could say. For me, it's probably more about like a timeline, sort of the initial phase when I'm, you know, dreaming and I'm like, oh, we could do this amazing new thing, you know, or we could redecorate the bathroom or, you know, whatever it might be, this grand new idea. That part's very exciting and you've got all these wonderful ideas. And then you sort of move along a bit to when you're actually about to start. And that's a bit where my stomach goes in knots a bit. You know, have I thought about everything? Have I planned everything? That's kind of scary bit for me. But then actually when things get started going again, everything's hopefully working well. That's the part that I probably enjoy the most. I I guess the one thing that I always try and remember to sort of ease myself through the nerves is no change is permanent. I think if you go to the restaurant, as Anna mentioned, and it's no good, so be it. Just don't go there next time. So your role within Bright is to help clients implement new software and processes in their teams. So can you give us a bit of an overview on why this is crucial to the success of both Asset Bank and Dash? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I know we're talking about Asset Bank and Dash today as our products, but really this is sort of generic across probably all technology implementations. Ultimately, technology is only sort of half of the picture. You know, you can have a great package and it sounds like it does everything and the demos from the sales team are really good. But ultimately, unless you have the right people involved and you're sort of going through some sort of process... You know, you might have yourself engaged, you might have a couple of people that were on those sales demos with you engaged, but as soon as you start to try and roll it out to your wider company, people are just going to be confused, they're not going to understand the point of it, and ultimately they're just not going to use it. And then you had a huge investment of time and money in many cases for no real benefit. A lot of it is really just a case of making sure that you have people involved as you go through and making sure that you're not just thinking about the technology, you're thinking about the people because you need to try and get it right first time because as soon as you get it wrong, then when you try and you know have like a relaunch or something, people are, I we tried this a year ago, it didn't work. Why are we trying it again? And you're kind of fighting an uphill battle. I think that's really interesting because this is technology that you're implementing within your organisation. But at the end of the day, within any organisation, it always comes down to the people. And having people on side to help you implement that technology is is so important. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Hannah, about that? Yeah, I I completely agree with Chris. I think the idea of relaunching something that maybe hasn't been successful the first time around, you are going to face that that uphill battle when it comes to adoption. I think in terms of what having an external consultant on the project with you can do is that it can provide that external pair of eyes that when you're working on a project internally, it's, it's quite hard to see that whole puzzle and to see all the different bits and the moving pieces that, that come into that. So having that external consultant as something to bounce your ideas off can be really, really useful. And as Chris said, you know, it is really important to get it right the first time. But when you're working with someone like myself or Chris, what that can then do is that during that implementation process, we can guide and support you through those potential decision points and we can draft things out and we can rework things and it provides that safe space to experiment which is really really crucial when you're you're approaching a new project also allows people that space to build their own confidence as a change leader because this might be the first time that they've done something like this whereas myself and Chris we this is our kind of our day jobs so I think it's about being able to work with someone make sure that they're feeling confident and comfortable and making them have that space that they can think things through with us rather than just going straight into a new process or a new plan without necessarily considering all the components. Definitely. And I think when you buy some software or you invest in some software, you don't necessarily think about the support that you're going to need rolling out. So I think it's just talking to you and hearing about actually how you support people within that implementation phase. It just sounds like a no brainer, really. So obviously, you guys deal with digital asset management within Bright. Obviously, a lot of change management models are going to be applicable to so many different industries. So are there any that you would recommend to people listening to this podcast? I think one of my favourites that I always have in mind when I'm looking at any any technology adoption or anything new really is one called the innovation adoption curve. Now I mentioned this one because it actually came 
from years and years ago, back in the 70s, someone called Everett Rogers came up with this. And since the 70s, there's been loads of iterations. But the premise stays the same, that basically during this curve, what happens is that you break the individuals within your organization down into five separate groups. So you've got innovators, you've got adopters, you've got the early majority, the late majority, and the last group, the laggards. And what it basically says is that whatever organization you're in, whether you're in the smallest change champion filled startup company or a huge corporation with lots of different people in lots of different departments, you're going to have individuals that sit at different points of the curve. And the main thing when you're thinking about putting a change plan in place is to consider the level of readiness that those different people are going to have and to plan for them. So to build that into your plan that you're going to have people that are straight off the bat going to be adopting it. And you're also going to have people that maybe as Chris said earlier, had that that kind of they've seen something similar before and they're seeing it like a relaunch and thinking about it quite critically and to get them on board as well, because that's going to be the success of your initiative is when you've not only got those innovators and the early adopters behind you, but you've also managed to bring on board the people at the other end of the spectrum, the people who aren't so keen to get on board in the first instance. So I think that is one of my favorite models. Interestingly, a little while ago, I was working through planning a talk talking about this model and, and Chris gave me some really valuable feedback about the way I was discussing this this model. The term for that last group is laggards and I before had seen that as a bit of a yeah those critics in the room the people that are going to be the barriers and that kind of thing but myself and Chris we had a, a really valuable workshop on it and, and Chris do you want to give a bit more detail as about the the kind of challenger thought that you had around laggards? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, as you say, laggard, it it just has this sort of negative tone to it. You know, the word, it, it's almost onomatopoeic. It's just kind of miserable somehow. And I think it sort of works in terms of technology models. And, you know, if, if you're a lecturer, it makes sense. It's descriptive. But in terms of if you're actually thinking of, you know, even presenting this to a team and saying, this is what we need to overcome, because, you know, some people won't have the thought that different people adopt change at different speeds. So it's a useful thing to sort of get out in the open. But I think as soon as you start having this conversation, you're saying, oh, some people are early adopters, they'll, you know, they'll sit up and they'll beam at their lovely title. And then if someone considers themselves a laggard, they'll sort of slump and they'll be like, how, how dare you, you know, kind of a thing. They have really good questions and actually they're challenging you all the way but actually often their challenges are coming from a really good place because ultimately they want the project to succeed as well you know if you can get them on board you know they're, the, they're your hardest audience right so we sort of thought rather than calling them laggards you know call them challengers you know or something a bit more engaging give them some power in the room I think that's really, really important because it's like playing devil's advocate, really, because if everybody just champions and says, yes, that sounds great, then you're never really going to sort of think about all those nuances where things might go wrong. But I can imagine people didn't really like being called a laggard. There's an argument for any, if any organisation is going to be successful, then they do need to flex and evolve with what's happening around them. Obviously, we are seeing this now with the whole COVID-19 lockdown, you know, companies are having to change very, very quickly. If anybody else at the moment is obviously thinking about how they can change processes in their team or they're about to embark on a whole new you know change management project is there any top tips that you you guys can give them any change is always going to influence is going to influence three things people process and technology you know you can have a great technology you can redesign the processes and you can give people a new flowchart of exactly what they're going to do that day the most difficult one to actually get right 
is the people. So just talk to people, you know, whether it's like a change you want to make at home or whether it's a change that you want to make at work. You just need to talk to people and you need to try and make sure they understand what the change is, you know, why it needs to change, what the benefits are, you know, and try and make them part of the team. People like to be involved. People like to, you know, give their opinion rather than just saying, hey, here's a change. Just from my past, when I was doing a rollout of the new Microsoft Office platforms, whenever they introduced the new kind of ribbon frame, as soon as people saw this change, they were really scared. No one liked it. No one could find where anything was. But actually, I don't remember the last time I I heard anyone actually complain about you know, the Microsoft Office ribbon. When people got it in their hands, started using it, it wasn't as scary as it seemed. It was just getting people on board. It's a bit like when people um, are so used to using things like social media platforms. And I remember years ago, Facebook started rolling out some changes in the way the feed was shown and everyone freaked out because they're used to something and it's in their comfort zone and they understand it. And then as soon as you take that sort of a little bit of control away, everyone freaks out. But then, of course, now we can't remember what it was like before because we all just changed and adapted. So I suppose that is, you know, the process with anything. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think it's that having that communication open when you're rolling out a change and that people know it's coming they've seen the first iterations of it you can you know have those feedback sessions throughout and I think that would be my top tip I think talking to people and having that that information available to them is really important but the other side of the coin is also equally if not more important so as Chris said being able to give a voice to the people that the change is going to affect is really important gather feedback every step of the way and make sure that everyone who gives you that feedback is really heard. I think a really interesting one when you were mentioning there about kind of social media and things changing and how we do sometimes just adapt to it. I was looking recently into some different changes uh, across the news and things and the one that springs to mind is Toblerone. So Toblerone a little while ago actually increased the gaps between their chocolate mountains. The feedback for that was, you know, absolutely everyone hated it and interestingly enough they listened to people and they got that feedback to the point that they actually decided to change back it ties into what Chris was saying earlier that no change has to be permanent yes it's good to make that decision and make things happen and have that change happen but if that feedback is negative it's really important that you listen to that and that you as the the person that's you know, leading that change adapts as well as the people that you're asking to adapt to the change that you're that you're making. And that's quite hard for an ego, isn't it? To go back and, you know, actually say, okay, maybe that wasn't the right change. Absolutely. I don't think it necessarily has to be, though. I think if you approach the project with a real kind of open mind that there are going to be those points and people are going to be those challenges and it doesn't have to be negative, I think that can be a really positive way to approach a project. One that springs to mind for me is I was working on a configuration of one of our systems with a client recently and they actually planned into their timelines feedback time. So when we worked on the initial configuration, we we got all the settings set up up as we thought the product was going to work. And then what we did is we took a couple of days out and we let the end users test what we'd done. Uh, And then myself and, and the change leader came back together. We discussed the feedback of those end users and we adapted the system based on some really valuable insights that potentially would have been a blind spot had myself and the leader of the project just configured the whole system without that input. So yeah, I think it can be quite a strain to put on your ego, but equally it doesn't necessarily have to be. 
So what do you think, this is a million dollar question, is that what do you think are the most challenging parts? You know, there are obviously so many challenging parts about implementing a new piece of software or technology, but what would you say are the most challenging parts and do you have any examples of these? I think from the projects that I've worked on, what seems to be definitely a make or break is who is on that first project team and in particular who the project leader is as well. I think, you know, as Chris mentioned earlier and as we've been talking about so far today, having the right people in the roles and having the right people involved at different steps of the journey is really, really important. And I think it's not only about who the leader is in version one of the the project, but also thinking about succession planning and thinking about if something were to change and that project leader needed to, you know, decided to move roles or shift priorities, what's going to happen to the project? Quite a few times, it does seem that, you know, it's sensible to have one person as that having that accountability for the project and seeing the deliverables delivered and all of those kind of things. But I think it also puts the project at almost unnecessary risk if it is all on that one super user to get it right and see it through to the end. In particular, one client recently, for me, they were really, really engaged and we were moving through the project and it was all going great, but they were that one point of contact. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we, we were speaking at at least two or three times a week, I stopped hearing from them and I felt a bit, you know, felt like I was being ghosted. It was really quite emotional. But then I received a note a couple of weeks afterwards from another member of the organization saying that that person had moved on. And of course it happens, people do move on, but because the succession plan was limited, and in that case as well, the handover was limited, that project that we nearly finished then had to go back to the drawing board because all of the new people hadn't been involved from the beginning. So I think in terms of trying to overcome that challenge of having just that all being on one person, you can do two things. You can either take that approach, but have a really solid succession plan, or the other option is to have a a super user project team so that if one person does have to move over or shift priorities or change team, the implementation overall isn't put at risk. But I think that can be a really challenging one for people to think about. Definitely. I can't imagine how stressful that is if one person leaves and takes all the all the information with them which is I guess why yeah it's so important to have at least a couple of people if not just to share the workload but also to protect a company from that happening. Chris what say you? The thing for me is the workload and finding the time for everything. It's difficult from our perspective. You know, we obviously work with multiple clients at the same time, but even from the perspective of the project team, you know, they'll be a champion. They'll have a day job doing other things. They'll be working with different people, getting their help with different parts of the project. And everyone's going to have their own day job. And probably they have other change projects that they're involved in. And, you know, you sometimes get the, like Hannah mentioned, kind of super users who are the figurehead of change but that probably means they're the figurehead for other change projects as well so everyone's sort of having to juggle these different timelines and as soon as you involve someone new actually making sure that they've got the time to do so that they've got the headspace to do so can be really difficult there's always something going on you know in a company whether it's just the kitchen supplies are changing the company's org structure is changing you know a new product you know change is tiring everything is always changing it really is a constant so getting the initial buy-in from people can be difficult but then keeping them on board keeping them engaged and sort of trying to keep your project you know at the top of the pile as it were that that can be pretty tricky definitely 
But in positive news, Bright has recently obviously undergone a huge amount of change, both in a rebrand and a refurb. So were you part of this project as the change masters? And how did you find working, you know, on change management internally, as opposed to consulting with clients externally? In terms of the sort of internal change that you mentioned, I think it was quite good in the fact that because we're a fairly small company, most people were sort of consulted on different things. You know, not necessarily everyone's opinion made it to fruition. There's there's no pool table. There's no jacuzzi. I, I saw someone mention. No hot tub. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not sure who put that one on. But, you know, a lot of different people were involved. I think it was just the fact that because everyone felt like they could give their ideas that it sort of was never too daunting. I think there was probably only half a dozen people that had their hands on the plans, as it were, in terms of, you know, we're going to have an octopus on the wall and, you know, the fine detail of things. So there was sort of a nice surprise when people walked in, but it was, again, being informed and just making sure that people are aware of it. You know, people always love to be a critic, you know, and again, part of change is just taking that on the chin to an extent. Nothing is ever going to go perfectly, you know, whether it's on day one or day 100, there'll still be little things here and there that you're tweaking. So I think that's just an inevitability that you just have to acknowledge. Yeah, I completely agree with what Chris was saying. I think in terms of all the changes that are happening at Bright, I think we're really lucky that we work in such a collaborative way. uh, And the ethos is there that we do all want to get involved in the changes. Almost one thing that we potentially came up against was that because we are all very positive people uh, and the change there was all you know, presented to us in such a way, we were probably thinking back to that model that we discussed earlier. We're probably all more in the innovators and early adopters space just because of the nature of the work that we do. You know, we're, we work for a, a small Brighton tech company. I think it comes with the territory. So as Chris said, everyone was really keen to get involved. And it's just about kind of managing that balance as well between what can be the surprise, because surprise can be fun too. Um, Having that launch day where you walk into the office and see the octopus on the wall, it's a good feeling. But I think in terms of looking at the work that we do externally and how that compares to the internal work that sometimes we're able to get involved with, I think one of the great things is that when you're working on an internal project, you also have the ability to to drive that change a little bit more. Because when you're working as an external consultant, yes, you can advise and you can offer guidance about timelines and timeframes and when things need to be done and prioritize things but there's only so much you can do in terms of what Chris was saying about everyone's got so many different things on their plates and it's spinning all of those plates at once too so I think when we look at our internal projects it's really nice to be part of those teams that are able to track those timelines and also drive that change forward to make sure those timelines are met which can sometimes be a bit of an obstacle. It must be quite hard because obviously that's your job and the change management and to almost try and take a step back and let someone else in the company maybe manage that project. I can imagine, you know, that is, you know, slightly alien because that's generally what you'd be doing. So I think it's interesting that you were able to, you know, be involved, but not be so involved to the point that you would normally be externally with a client. Like you said, surprise is really great as well. And I think that, you know, I think it's nice that everybody had a feeling of what was coming, but didn't actually know the details because otherwise there would have been nothing to sort of unveil and surprise. And I think that was quite, it sounds like it it went quite well. And it sounds like the, the project was a success. I mean, we've got another podcast all about that if anyone's interested. So go and check. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was actually a little bit of a relief for myself and Chris to to see it from the almost what our clients see sometimes or what our clients teams see. It's quite a quite a nice sense of relief. I guess I don't know if it happens in other jobs, you know, does the does the chef go home and want to cook their own dinner? I guess it's, it's a good analogy. I've worked in a lot of restaurants and I've gone out with a chef and they do not cook at home. <laughs> I guess it's the same with change. Yeah. No, I wonder that actually. Do I go home and just kind of do podcasts in my living room? But I think it's good. I think it's good to be able to step back and not always be, you know, in that seat. And I think that's, you know, just going off on a tangent a little bit, but sometimes when people volunteer, they actually don't want to volunteer in the capacity that they work in. So marketing, I'd rather go in and volunteer in a different way because it's just a difference from my normal life so maybe it's the same sort of thing so you alluded that obviously you work smack bang in the center of Brighton and I'm really interested as two young young people I'm talking like I'm really old what are you doing when you leave work and where would we normally find you so I suppose, yeah, going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, what we're doing now, right now, is quite different to, to what we'd usually be doing. But when we are working from the office and we are in the centre of Brighton, my main thing is to be able to go out with Bright. We're, we're a really social bunch. So it's quite nice to just kind of pop out and you know go to the pub after work. Or I particularly like Brighton is such a hub for the arts. Uh, and I am a little bit of a, a theatre goer and I love comedy nights and things like that. So that's always kind of top of my agenda when I'm out and about in Brighton. When I do, do just head home, which is sometimes quite nice too, I've been trying to get more into to cooking and things. So I love experimenting, getting new ingredients from from a shop on the way home and trying not to set the fire alarm off in the flat is always a, is always a bonus. That's a bit more applicable to what you can do now. Yes, exactly. And and yeah, at the moment, it's very much, you know, cooking, baking. I made a lovely carrot cake the other day. It was really nice, which is good. And myself and my boyfriend, we have been, you know, we've been talking about change today. One of the new changes that I've been going through is I've been learning to ballroom dance. So a little bit of a challenge for us, but we have been managing to keep that up whilst we're in lockdown. Were you inspired by Strictly? No, actually. I It was a bit of a, a New Year's resolution. Um, it randomly came up. I can't remember what social media channel it was, but there was something that just kind of thought, do you know what? That would be a really fun hobby to do and it is the classes are amazing they're really really they're a really good laugh obviously things have changed a little bit with that now but it's quite nice we've all got all my dance class have got a little bit of a whatsapp group and there's lots of people of different ages so there's some vulnerable people in there so we're all looking out for each other and making sure that everyone in the local community is looked after during this time too that sounds fab i love like sort of digging down and and working out what people actually do and enjoy because sometimes there's some real nuggets in there chris tell us like what what are you doing now and versus what were you doing in real life I mean I, I'm currently just waiting for my carrot cake to arrive through the mail Hannah <laughs> and me <laughs> well when we're back in the office how about we do a bake-off or something sounds great it probably depends on the day of the week for me. Actually, at Bright, I know Hannah mentioned we've got the good sort of social hub going. Most Wednesdays, I'm actually in the middle of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, I've been doing that for a while. That's good fun. Other days of the week, I'm rushing home to catch a train because if I don't feed my cats on time, they'll find something else to oh, chew. Right, I could talk to you about your cats all day, but we should probably do that off the podcast because I'm a big cat fan. But guys, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really fascinating, actually, at this time of great change 
change to talk about how you deal with change in your day-to-day jobs and some tips and hints because I kind of feel like the big thing that's come out of it really is this communication and how important it is to communicate and I don't know about you but I feel like at the moment communication has just soared throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. It's amazing how people do pull together and talk their way through it so I think change you know it's it's got its challenges but I think if we all communicate I really feel like it could be a positive thing so thank you guys for your insights and join us again for the next big bright podcast thanks for listening please remember to subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode you can find out more top tips from the bright team on our website at bright-interactive.co.uk